maybe more. There's, I think, a week that we skipped over. Uh, but so we've been in John all year, really, and uh, it's been great. I've uh, known of a lot of people who have really been digging through John on their own time and through uh, different ministries that we're doing. You know, the girls' youth have been going through John every week, and as a youth group, we've been looking at John. And so it's been a great thing for our church. And so we are almost done, though. John 19, and then 20, and then 21, and then we'll conclude. And so John 19, though, is a very key chapter that has... Everything we've been talking about has been leading to this moment in John 19, and that moment is the cross of Christ. And so I want to talk about the cross. And so chapter 19, the work of the cross. What did the cross accomplish? The last time I preached was in John 16 when Jesus was giving a final farewell teaching to his disciples, and I talked about the work of the Holy Spirit, which comes after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. And so I kind of was a a message almost before or after this one. So before we get to the, the Holy Spirit and receiving the Holy Spirit, we're going through the cross. And so let me pray, and then we'll jump right in. So Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for these wonderful people who I love, and I know that they love me and they love you. And I thank you, Lord, that we can gather together and, and talk about your word, and uh, not only just talk about it, but um, experience it. And, and be filled with your word as we talk about it. And that as we talk, I pray that it would be a prayer and that we would receive what you're doing and what you've done already with the work of the cross. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So in John 19, I want to look at uh, John 19.35, kind of as this, this key verse that all the book of John has been leading, the writer of John, John himself, has been writing in a way to have people believe, have people come to believe who Jesus is, what he was all about, what did he do. And his writings did that. It, the readers and the listeners of it would have to decide for themselves who Jesus is. What did they believe about Jesus? And so here in this verse, after the cross, after his death, we'll see this verse pop up. It says, this report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also may continue to believe. So he speaks the truth. So this is what we have, an eyewitness account of this very moment and very day in history, the cross of Christ, which is a key to history itself. I mean, we, we talk about B.C. and A.D., uh, which I, I, I just like to say before Christ and after death, um, but the year of the Lord. And so this cross is the pivotal moment that this was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so this chapter is kind of split up into to two parts, really. John 19, 1 through 16 is that uh, Jesus sentenced to death, and it's a continuation of what Pastor Brian talked about last week in John 18, and where Pilate and the high priest were wondering what to do with Jesus. So we'll read that part. Then after that, John 19, verses 17 through 42, is the crucifixion itself and the burial of Jesus. And so let's look at the works of the cross. So the works of the cross. This is uh, what it is, the preparation part of the cross, the fulfillment of the cross itself, and the outcome. So preparation, the leading up to the moment, fulfillment, the moment itself, the cross, and the outcome, the after effects of the fulfillment, the works, what did the cross accomplish? And this really pattern can be said about any type of, of work that we do, can it? There's preparation that is involved. 
which takes a long time to prepare for something that you're working on. Sometimes you really prepare for a long time to paint a room, but you just never get it done. You never fulfill it. That preparation in your mind really gets, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, I promise. (laughs) And uh, so there's a preparation that leads up to a moment that you fulfill that job. And then there's the outcome of the job, that you look at it and you see what it has done. And sometimes uh, the outcome can be a blessing to what you've done, or it could be something of a, of a curse if you fulfill the wrong type of work and you do something wrong, um, then it can, the outcome can, can uh, hurt other people. And so here's Jesus' preparation, fulfillment, and outcome of the cross that I want to talk about. And so fulfillment. Jesus fulfilled his mission. This was his mission, to atone for the sins of humanity. This is the fulfillment of the cross. I'm kind of jumping right in the middle part because I want to talk about this, then I'm going to talk about preparation here. Fulfillment. Jesus fulfilled his mission to atone for the sins of humanity. So what is the purpose that he went to the cross, the purpose of his whole life? He gave it away in John 3. We read about it back in, when was that? Mark, January, John 3? John 3, 14 through 17. Look at this. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. This is probably a few years before this moment of him on the cross actually happened. He goes back to Moses' time, talks about himself there, that there's going to be time he's going to be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. To fulfill this purpose, to save everyone. How is he going to fulfill it? He's going to fulfill it through a cross, which, which sounds kind of counterproductive, doesn't it? He's going to fulfill it through death. So how did we get here? Well, let's talk about the preparation part. Now, the preparation of the cross has been a long time in the making, very long time in the making. It's not as Jesus thought of a plan, oh, what should I do? Okay, Jesus is going to be born, all right, and then he's going to, at 30, he's going to step into a public, okay, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. All right, yeah, John the Baptist, you ready to, to give out this mission? Yeah, I'm, okay, what are we doing? No, this is something that God has already been planning and preparing since the beginning, and you see it actually in Revelation 13.8. Look what it says in Revelation 13.8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb, Jesus, who was slain from the creation of the world. That can, we can think about that for a while. Slain from the creation of the world. So this purpose and this preparation has been put in place for a, uh, for a long time. You actually see it in Genesis, Genesis 3, at the garden when the, when the, the two messed up and, and, and screwed up humanity, Jesus is mentioned here. And God gives a promise to the enemy who tries to mess things up. He says this, all right, enemy, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, crush the head of the enemy, and he will strike his heel. The enemy will strike the heel, Jesus on the cross, killing him right there. And we see that God provides this type of atonement for the people at the very beginning also in Genesis 3, 21. God says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skin for Adam and his wife. This is a picture right here of atonement, which is what it means, to atone for something, to cover up, 
So the, the humanity uh, messed up, caused shame and sin into the world, but God said, I have something for you. I'm going to make sacrifices for you. I mean, how do you get animal skin? You have to sacrifice an animal in order to get that. And so he sacrificed right there in the garden. You see a first sacrifice being made and that the animal skin was used to cover these people. And so this has been a long time in the making, this preparation of the cross. And I'm going to read uh, John 19 here in a minute, but there's been many things in my own life that have been long in the making, right? There's preparation work that has been, um, has been I've, I've been making. And, and I'm sure you can think of things as well that you've prepared something. It could be small things like, um, which wasn't small, but a meal. You know, you, you take the time to prepare a meal and you think about it. You plan it out. And if you're really good, you can plan out the whole week of your meals and you go to Costco and you get everything you need. You prepare it out and then you make it. And it takes a long time to do all that prep work and making it and going through all the different steps and the spices and all. And then the fulfillment part is like, boom, it takes like 30 seconds, right? Right, Maserax, you have the, the boys there that just suck it up, right? The food, and it just takes instantaneously you fulfill in that food. But the preparation work took a long time. The outcome of that time of eating, it, you know, you're probably full for a little bit, but, um, but hopefully for a long time if it's a good, hearty meal. Uh, but but the, uh, my mom always says that during Thanksgiving, right, where it's like she takes days to prepare for that meal, and then we sit down and eat it real quickly, and she's like, and then the outcome, you got to do all the dishes. It takes a long time. But that very central moment of the fulfillment part uh, is very, very quick. In my own life, uh, I, as a teenager, I felt this call into ministry. I felt like the Lord wanted me to do, uh, to do something, and I just, I just knew it. What was it? It's something. And so as a young age in, in high school, I, I felt this call to, to minister, to, to be a, a pastor. And so he, he continued to prepare my heart for that. And it took a long time because um, it didn't necessarily come right away because I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't, I wasn't trained. I, wasn't, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just knew in my heart there was this desire that the Lord placed inside of me that he was going to prepare me for a, a specific work. And then there was a day when uh, Pastor Jeff called me, and we had a, a long conversation together on the back of his truck at Larry's Giant Subs over there where we used to go all the time. And we had actually had a conversation inside Larry's Giant Subs. Then we came out, and his truck was busted in, and his car windshield had been uh, – somebody ransacked his, his truck. And so I probably should have took that as a sign there. Like, I don't know about this guy. I mean, God, there's a – no, no. Um, no, I, we had a great conversation. I knew at that moment I, I needed to, to work with him. And so the Lord fulfilled a desire in that moment. And now there's been things I've been doing now that – um, the Lord continues to, to prepare me and fulfill and outcomes happen. And so it's a, a kind of a cycle of, of preparation, fulfillment, outcome, then a new thing, preparation, fulfillment, outcome. So we're preparing here. And so now we look at the moment here that Jesus is about to go to the cross. So John 19, 1 through 16, let's read this. Jesus sentenced to death. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I am going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crowns of thorns and said, uh, sorry, 
Pilate said, the purple robe, Pilate said, look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. If you remember last week, he already answered that. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And now here's where Jesus got, he got his attention. Oh, okay. You want to talk about power, do you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So a couple things I want to look at here in this first part is, is this, is that Pilate says in such a prophetic way, look, here is the man. Here is your man. Look, here is your king. And so I don't even think Pilate realized exactly what he was saying. I do believe that Pilate felt in that moment the presence of Jesus, that this was the Son of God. I think he was actually trying to, he, he tried to release him numerous times. I, I find him not guilty. I don't, I don't think that this is right. And said, yet the people continue to push, this is what we want. And so look at this, uh, this, this part here where it says, look, here is the man. And look, here is your king. Pilate didn't realize the prophetic statement he was making. If you look at Zechariah 9, 9, it says in this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. This is a prophetic word talking about Jesus. Shout in triumph, O people in Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, this prophetic word by Zechariah was probably five, 600 years before Jesus even came. So think about that preparation work that God was doing. In all of Hebrew scriptures, in all the Old Testament, he's preparing his people for this moment. Look, here is your king. And out of Pilate's mouth, who isn't known as a a prophetic prophet of God, yet he speaks this prophetically. Look, here is your king. Saying it in a sarcastic way. Here's your king. You want him? But he was actually quoting scripture and he didn't even know it. And God was working through all of this. We do see a prophet back in John 1, back in John 1, that was January, when we talked about John the Baptist, the prophet. Now, he knew the scriptures. John the Baptist was in tune with the Spirit. He was in tune with what God has been doing in the scriptures. And he knew that Jesus was, in fact, the king that was coming. And look what he says. He knew he was the slain lamb of God. He says, The uh, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. He saw him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was three years before Jesus goes up on the cross. 
and he's getting attention. Now it's getting even more intense. The time in Zechariah when they said, look, here is your king, they were probably thinking like, what king? We're in exile. What are you talking about? But now John the Baptist, look, here's your king. And there was actually a physical presence right there in front of them, Jesus. And at that point, the, the people probably were locked. Did, this really it? Is this the king that we've been waiting for all these years? This is, yeah, I think it is. And they begin to look at him and watch him and do and see what he did all throughout the gospel and see all the different miracles and things that he did. And they were like, this must be the king. But then here at the end, when Jesus was going up to the cross and all this was happening and all the talk was going on, they might have been backing up a little bit like, is this really the king? Because he's going up to the cross and I thought our king was going to be a little more victorious than that. What are we doing here? And so they're backing away. But then Pilate's like, look, here is your king. And the Jewish people were like, okay, (laughs) what is happening? Is this the king? Is this him? And so when they look at Jesus, they have to decide for themselves if this is the king or if he's not. And Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew that when he was going to go to the cross and fulfill that moment, he knew the people's eyes were going to be opened that his death on the cross was going to open up eyes that they were actually going to see that he is king. What a way to do it. He, didn't, he was silent in the moment when Pilate and the, uh, the Jewish leaders were, were talking about him. Jesus was silent. He didn't lash out, yeah, I'm the king. That's right, I'm the king. He didn't do that. He was silent because if he knew he would have done that, he would have been fighting in the way that the world fights, with our voices and our talk and our debates. He sat back and waited to be crucified to show that he is the king. What a different way that we think. I mean, what if we as Christians thought the same way? Maybe we don't have to be all boisterous about, this is it, this is the way to do it. What if God is calling us to a more silent life to be crucified with? (laughs) Can we handle that? (laughs) So here's your king. John the Baptist saw it. Jesus himself even started to prepare the people. John the Baptist prepared for Jesus. Then Jesus himself started to prepare the people. Look in John 8, 28. He says, there's going to be time. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, whoa, John 8 is talking about the cross? When you lift up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. That's the moment you'll understand. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. John 12, he says it again. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. So he's preparing the people's hearts for this moment of the cross. Then we see another character, Mary of Bethany in John 12, that she prepared the body of Jesus for burial before the cross even happened. She looked at Jesus and saw the Messiah even before the cross. What a prophetic proclamation that she made before this cross. Before Jesus was lifted up, she's like, this is him. And I'm going to anoint him, like the song we sang this morning. And so we, when we look at Jesus, when he's lifted up on the cross in this moment, we have to decide who Jesus is for yourself. When you see him crucified, and we're going to read that in a minute, the moment of his crucifixion. When we read that, you have to decide who is he for ourselves. And so we get to this part of the fulfillment, the moment of the crucifixion, when Jesus is going to be crucified. Let's read it in John 19, 17 through 37. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of skull, 
Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Once again, Pilate probably had a prophetic gift, but he wasn't necessarily using it for God, but God's like, I'm going to use it through you anyways. Wrote on there, King of the Jews, and he wrote it in different languages. What does that show us? He's not only the King of the Jews, but he's the King of the world. Hanging above his head. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. It's also, if you want to look more into these fulfillments in Scripture, Psalm 22. There's a lot of reflection here in Psalm 22. Standing near the cross where Jesus' mother and his, sister, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, John, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. It's fulfilled. Here it is, the moment we've all been waiting for. It's finished. Six hours on the cross. This actually was not a very long time for a crucifixion. Actually, a, a normal crucifixion would have probably taken 24, maybe even up to 48 hours. Jesus on there six hours. I believe that's part of it was the mercy of God. Part of it is the, the weight of the sin of humanity that he felt. Six hours on the cross. It is finished, that moment that all of humanity has been pointing to and leading to. All the Hebrew scriptures, all those books this moment, boom, here it is, it's finished. <clears throat> then he bowed his head and released his spirit. If you want to read more in John 12, I didn't read it at all, but in John 12, he says, it's when a, when a, a, a wheat, when a, a, a seed of wheat dies, um, it, it, it's good, it releases uh, growth. And so here's Jesus releasing his spirit, and we'll see that. Remember, he talks about, it's good for me to go. John 14, 15, 16, he talks about that. It's good for me to go. Here he is releasing his spirit so that there will be a time when we receive his spirit. So now it was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath, and a very special Sabbath because it was the Passover. So they asked Pilate to hasten their death by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. One of his soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may also continue to believe. These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say not one of his bones will be broken, Psalm 22, and they will look on the one they pierced. Zechariah. We'll read that in a minute. 
So here's Jesus' mission, and he fulfills it here at the cross in hopes that people would, would, would believe and people would see who he really is, that he is the king of the Jews. He was doing this for the Jewish people, that they would see that. And he's doing it for the world, that they would see who he is, the Messiah, the one to come and atone for the sins of the people. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, look at this, this fulfillment. What else did this work of the cross do? Look what it did for us. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of, cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily tang- t- trips us up. I'm quoting different scriptures here, <laughs> different translations. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy waiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. He did that for us. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So he's saying, look, I did this on the cross, and I want you to fix your eyes on me. I want you to look at me. Look, here is your king. The same thing Pilate said to the people Jesus is saying to us, look, here is your king. Believers, here is your king. Fix your eyes on me and go. And, and, you, will, uh, and you can endure the, the, the same things that Jesus endured because of the power of, of, of what he's done on the cross. And so the outcome of all this, the finished work of Christ. 1930, it is finished. Look what it says in 1 John 2, 2, that he, Jesus, go to uh, 1 John 2, 2, do you see there? He, Jesus, atoned for the sins of the people in 1 John 2, 2. He is the sacrifice that atoned for the people. Is it on there? Oh, it's not. Okay. Uh, then you can jump ahead to Isaiah 53. And um, we're going to spend some time in prayer in a minute. And I think, Brian, are you coming up? Okay. Yeah, you can, you can just come on up. I want to think about this outcome here of the cross, and I want to apply it to our lives today. I think a lot of times we think, um, you know, the cross of Christ. I know that the Good Friday, we had a Good Friday service here, and we had a couple days in a row where we got together with other believers, and we, we talked about these sayings that Jesus said on the cross. We went through all these different seven sayings that he went through. And so the cross, uh, sometimes, uh, I don't know, sometimes we, we kind of, don't want to talk about it or we feel like we've already known what has happened oh yeah jesus died on the cross for my sins you know, if you grew up in church you may have said that a lot in your life and it's kind of become just like a yeah jesus christ died on the cross for my sins but then when you really dig into it and look at it what he's done for us and you really actually take it and apply it to your life you apply the work of the cross to your life it changes everything the work of the cross what jesus did for us there's this this tool he's given us, that after, after he's finished on the cross, there's this work and this a, a, a thing that he's given us, almost like a tool. So here you go, I've, I've done it, I completed it, now here you are. Here's this, maybe a weapon is even better to say, that he's given us. Here it is. Okay. Now, we can take that and actually use it and apply it to our life, or if we just kind of set it on the table here and, oh yeah, I've got this weapon, the work of the cross. And all this stuff is happening to you. I've got this weapon, the work of the cross. But all this is, stuff is still happening. You're going to get worn out if you actually don't take that, what he's given you, and apply it. 
to the things that are coming your way. There's a real darkness that's trying to take us out. And you felt that, haven't you? You felt those things. And so here's what Jesus did on the cross. He's, he's put away those things for us. And we can apply what he's done. Look at Isaiah 53, this prophetic statement in Isaiah that what happened on the cross, the outcome of the cross, here's what it is. And here's how we can apply it. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our weakness he carried. If you're feeling weak, he's carried it to the cross. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Our sorrows weighed him down. If you have sorrows, think of the cross. He's taken your sorrows to the cross. If you're feeling weak, think of the cross. Apply the cross to those feelings. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. If you're rebellious, the work of the cross is going to do something about that. Apply it. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Apply it to your life right now. Colossians 2, another outcome and effect of the cross. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rules and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. If you're feeling shame, the work of the cross is done away with that. Apply it to your life today. Then the last verse I have, and then I'm going to ask a couple people that I've asked already to pray for specific things this morning. This last verse I want to end on, another prophetic word from Zechariah. But this idea of looking to Jesus, looking at him, seeing what he's done. And look what happens. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. And so I want to look at Jesus right now. I'm going to ask Anne to come up and pray. There was a moment here in this story in John 19 when the Jewish people rejected Jesus as king. The Jewish people said, nope, this is not our king. Yet all of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, were all about leading the people to Jesus. Here he is. This is Jesus. Yet many rejected him as their king. And still today, many Jewish people reject Jesus as their king. We have a set, an Israel set, that Stephen, Marianne, and Anna Dalton uh, do on Wednesday nights in this room, and they pray for the salvation of the Jewish people today. They would see Jesus and know him as their king. In Romans 11, it talks about if, if the rejection of the Jewish people were for the Gentiles, our benefit, if their rejection was for our salvation, how much more their acceptance of Jesus is that for us? What a blessing that is for us. I don't even know what that means. It, their acceptance is a blessing? Okay, let's do that. I want that. That sounds great. If their rejection of Jesus is salvation for us, how much more is their acceptance of Jesus going to be for the world? So I want to pray right now for the Jewish people all over the world 
who don't see Jesus as their king, that their eyes would be opened to that. So I've asked Ann and Dalton to pray for that this morning. And so join along with that. Thank you. I'm just going to give a little bit of background that God closed their eyes, God closed their ears, God closed their hearts. They are blinded. They don't hear. Their hearts are closed to God because he closed them. And in Romans 11.25, Paul wrote, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And a number of times in the Old Testament, he does say, they do not have a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that have heard He has sealed their eyes and covered our heads. But in Revelation, we studied that when Jesus comes back, they will recognize him. And in in reverse, in in order for Jesus to come back, they need to be saved. And in order for us to see Jesus again, the Jewish people need to be saved. And so it's so important to us as Gentiles to keep them in our hearts and to pray for them in order to see Jesus again. In order for Jesus to return, the Israelites need to be ready. We need to make them jealous for Jesus. Father, we thank you for opening our eyes to your salvation and allowing us to be grafted into Israel. But we ask now that you would continue to reveal yourself to the Jewish people you would continue to lift the scales off their eyes, that you would continue to press into them and call them to press into you, that you would reveal yourself and your mighty works to them, that they all might be saved in that time when you return. And as we wait for that time, we press into you, seeking your face for Israel, asking you to guide us in our prayers for them, asking you to reveal yourself more fully each day both to the Jewish people and to us. Amen and amen. Now I ask Dr. Downey to come and pray as well. We're going to um, pray for anyone that you know specifically who has maybe um, a prodigal son and daughter that you know who maybe have, have grown up looking at Jesus and seeing him on the cross, but but now they have decided that, that Jesus is somebody else to them. So I want to pray for those that you know. Um, you can even call them out by name as we pray for those, that they would come to know Jesus as their King, their Savior, that they would come to know Jesus as Lord of their life. Kevin, thank you so much for laying out the gospel in this message from the scripture and we know that even though sometimes we hear scripture we don't listen to it we don't acknowledge it in our hearts and we know that there are many people in our family and friends that you know may have heard the scripture but don't acknowledge it in their hearts they know it but they don't acknowledge it something holds them back We know that's the spirit of this world that blinds them, just like 
Anne was talking about the Jews. Many are blinded even though they hear the word. And so let's pray into that. Father, we thank you for your word. We bless you for your word that acknowledges the lordship of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word that, that says that we are created a little bit lower than the angels, God. Lord, help us to have angels' ears to hear your word. Father, there, there are people in our lives that we know that know the gospel. And we pray that they might acknowledge that in their heart, God. Thank you. And Father, we, we pray for those at this time. We remember the story of the prodigal son, how he was you know, eating the pig's food, and, and then something came to him. He said, you know, you know, the pigs in my father's home eat better than this. The, the servants for the pigs eat better than this. And he, he came back to the father. And we thank you for, you know, the epistle, the second epistle of, of John, the first epistle of John, chapter 2, that says that, you know, if we seek out the Lord... He will open his arms just in like that in that story with the prodigal son, God. Father, we, we pray for a turning. We pray for a change in heart that acknowledges your words and all the work that was done in Isaiah 53 just read to us, God. That if we turn to the Lord, he will greet us with open arms. And Father, we pray for that change. And just as we speak those people right now in our lives that we know that we hold them up and we say their names in our hearts and our minds God that those people might be changed in a blink of an eye that they might come to the Lord and acknowledge God in Jesus name Amen Now the last prayer I want to pray is, is from actually uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 can you go to that? I, I put that up there I, skipped over it earlier, but I think I want to read this, is that I want to pray for us as believers, those who are passionate about the Lord, who are really going after the Father, who have, who have been seeking Him, who have been faithful to Him, but you maybe been worn down by maybe some of the spiritual warfare that you feel and that you see, and I want to just uh, pray a prayer of empowerment for us, that we would continue to endure the things that, that we have been enduring, and to endure the things that are coming as well, that we would continue to be victorious because of the cross of Jesus. He is, we are victorious because of the cross of Jesus. We are victorious because of the cross of Jesus. I think about that phrase. We are victorious because of his death. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made his light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Thank you that our great power is from you, God, and not from ourselves. I am not powerful without you. It's your power through us, God. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. 
Through the suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. So Lord, right now, we just receive your empowerment. We receive your strength. We receive it right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the cross that first has taken away our sins, that we uh, can be fulfilled in, in you, Jesus, that we don't need anything else. We don't need any, um, any other worldly pleasures. You, Jesus, fulfill our, our desires, our every desire. Help us to know that. Lord, give us endurance and strength as we fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Give us endurance to continue on the mission that you have us, God, that in the end, when we see you, you can say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have fulfilled the mission that God has called you to do. Give us the endurance to do that. Amen. Well, if you want to stick around and pray, we can pray some more. But if you are ready to go, let's close by singing. Let's stand and sing this song. This... uh, centrality of humility in the cross of Jesus and the being of God should be essential to our faith as well as his followers and it's that it's part of the main way that I think we can shine the light into our current culture you know there's a temptation to bow to other things religious leaders of the day standing in the face of Jesus Christ, the king, their long-awaited Messiah, saying, ah, we got no king but Caesar, you know. So let the hero understand it's easy to make this mistake because God's humility is surprising. (laughs) 